On this pre-election episode of the Fifth Day State podcast, a little bit of a rant about the state of politics in this country, uh, asking the question uh, if some of us are putting our faith in the uh, wrong person or party, uh, and a little bit of a rant about politics in general. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Evening Australia. Thank you for joining me here on this, the episode of the Fifth Estate Podcast. Um, I think I started off with a bit of a bit of a prediction. Now, uh, I, I'm I'm predicting that potentially when the results come out, that it will be a minority Liberal government. Uh, so the uh, Liberal Party will be able to retain power. Uh, though they will probably have to rely on uh, some of the crossbench. I have a feeling the UAP might get one or two seats in the lower house. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't think that the Greens will be in a position to form minority government, but then they'd do it with the Labor Party anyway. Uh, so I think that there might be probably one or two independents elected uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be minority government. Uh, within a Liberal Party, National Party coalition, plus uh, maybe one or two seats from the UAP, whereas in the Senate, I have a feeling it's going to be a bit of a hostile Senate. Um, UAP will pick up a couple of seats and also have a feeling for Victoria that the Liberal Democrats will pick up a seat as well. Uh, so that means David Limbrick gets in uh, for that. Uh, but I'll have a bit more of a, of a rant about that one later on. Um, so yeah, so that's my predictions. Uh, I think if it goes any other way than that, uh, we're all in trouble. I think that if the, uh, Labor Greens are able to form government, uh, I think the country's screwed and the next couple of months in Victoria will be, uh, an indication of what the next three years are going to be like under an Albanese band. Uh, government uh, and also sort of says about, uh, you know, I mean, so my thoughts are that, okay, if Albanese gets in, then Andrew's days are numbered because traditionally and after what's happened in Victoria, I can't see the states uh, accepting a Labor federal government and a Labor state government. So I think the best thing for Andrew's would be for Morrison to stay in because that keeps that, that, um, you know, opposing parties at the different levels. Um, so, you know, if Albanese gets in, uh, Andrews has only got, what is it, six months to go uh, before he's voted out. Uh, I, I think that, that that's a real uh, possibility, especially with a, a Labor government at the uh, federal level. Uh, even uh, Somirek has said the same thing as well. Uh, that the best thing to do to get Andrews out of government would be to vote for Labor. Though now, as we've seen, Andrews has been rather quiet on the election front, uh, campaigning and everything like that. Albanese hasn't spent that much time down here because he knows that with regards to the Labor brand that uh, Andrews is very toxic to it. 
Uh, there's a lot of people that don't like him. There's a lot of people still out of work. There's a lot of people uh, that have had a lot of stuff done to him uh, because of the, the, the policies of the Andrews regime. So uh, I, I don't think that, you know, he, he's going to be uh, too well received if he was uh, campaigning a lot down here. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I'll have to uh, check the stats at the polls, uh, at the, you know, when they come in from the AEC over the next couple of weeks. Uh, for that and, and see how the different areas uh, did vote for Labor and if there was a swing against the uh, the, the safe seats like the entitled uh, members such as uh, the useless Andrew Giles out here in Scullin. Uh, it would be interesting to see what the swing against him is now. Uh, as much as I'd like to say that there was a good field against him, I don't think that there was because... They weren't making much of a presence, um, you know. It, it's a thing that they to to make an, a, a presence felt in a safe seat like this one. They should have been campaigning for the last twelve months, uh, getting out, you know, going to the opening of everything, chip packets, you name it. They should have been going to the opening of it and and you know dealing with it that way. Unfortunately, um, due to the way that the party system set up, it probably took them a while to get endorsed by the party uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. So. There, there's a bit on that one uh, as well. And, and I'm really disappointed that there wasn't a, um, a genuine independent uh, in this seat of Scullin. So it was, uh, you know, all, all the usual parties, uh, the Watermelons, the Victorian Socialists, um, <laughs> the Australian Socialists, otherwise known as the Labor Party, actually, no, Australian Marxists or Fascists, uh, otherwise known as the Australian Labor Party, uh, the watered-down Fascists known as the Liberal Party, there was uh, One Nation, United Australia and Liberal Democrats. Uh, wasn't able to get a chance to talk to any of them, uh, just scheduling conflicts and, and, and everything like that made it really hard to do it. Uh, so as I said, you know, I would have liked more time to have a good conversation with, with the different candidates. Uh, so now, you know, being fair, it was only the uh, uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party who uh, had a good conversation with, but unfortunately... Um, scheduling conflicts made it a bit of a challenge to do that and that was more my fault than the candidates' fault, uh, same as the Liberal Democrats. Uh, the Greens candidate got back to me and said that because they're running the show themselves, they didn't have time to do it and the other ones never got back to me at all. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fairly expected uh, for, for that. So uh, we'll, we'll see how we go with the state election and if I can get any response from the candidates in this area uh, and read, sorry, this electorate and region at that one. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, interesting news about Andrew Giles, uh, realestate.com has uh, .au, uh, correction there, does have his um, electorate office up for sale and lease. So I'm wondering if he's moving little bit closer to his area where he lives in Clifton Hill. Now, understanding Scullin's only so big, uh, so it limits to where he can move to, uh, but I have a feeling that maybe he's going to be moving to a little bit closer to the border so he doesn't have to drive as far to get from where he is in Clifton Hill to here. Um, he hasn't campaigned that much. He did a little bit of door knocking, pretending that he cares about people. Uh, haven't had anyone come to this area in Dornoch where we are here. Uh, we just received the local propaganda. He's been at railway stations. Unfortunately, he has me blocked because I, I think I asked him an embarrassing question 
Oh, no, that was it. It was about, uh, I think it was about the National Integrity Commission and pointed out how good the IBAC has gone in Victoria. Uh, didn't seem to like that one. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but don't worry, I will keep the pressure on him for the next three years and uh, point out his uh, usefulness regardless of uh, whether he's uh, on the opposition or whether he's able to form government. Um, yeah, and, and we'll go from there. So so there's that. Now, talking about, um, what was it? I don't know. Uh, forming government, I, I think that... For, for those in Victoria, we've had uh, an interesting couple of years. Um, some politicians at the state level have uh, stood up and become noticed a bit more, um, namely the um, you know, Tim Quilty and David Limbrick from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, David Limbrick has uh, made the decision to stand for a uh, Senate seat, so he resigned from the state parliament uh, and... Uh, you know, became number one on the ticket for the Liberal Democrats uh, in, in Victoria. Now, in line with that, there was um, the Caroline White was number three and I, I can't remember her name. Um, the ex-police officer, Crystal, uh, was number two on the ticket. Now, I my thoughts is that it probably, you know, I don't think Limbrick should have gone to the state level, uh, sorry, federal level, he should have stayed at state. Um, by moving to the federal level, it sort of, for me and my uh, interpretation of it all, it smacks of career politician. Now, he is a um, career politician. He started off, from what I understand, as a staffer for David Lalen and John, um, apologies about the mispronunciation of his surname, uh, the one who was the Sydney uh, senator for the Liberal Democrats uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's gone from there being a staffer to there to uh, coming into the seat in Victoria, um, has done a bit of time down there. Now he's moving, uh, you know, if he gets in, moving up to Canberra. I do predict, I do think he will get a seat, uh, though I'm not sure what his primary vote will be. It might not be as good as he thinks it is uh, because there are a lot of other um, what they call, quote-unquote, freedom-friendly minor parties uh, for that. So, yeah, he, he's moved on to there. So going back to what I was saying before, um, I I don't think that he, he you know, he should have gone there. I, I Honestly, I think that um, uh, is it Caroline White, who's number three, she should have been number one, Crystal number two, and... Um, you know, maybe if he had a state in Victoria, maybe Topher as number three. Um, my thoughts for that because um, Ms White was a business owner who, uh, you know, had skin in the game and, uh, you know, was faced with the harsh realities of the Andrews regime's lockdown. Yes, um, is it Crystal Mitchell? Uh, she was... Um, you know, a Victoria police officer and, um, you know, yeah, Crystal Mitchell. Uh, she was one that did that discernible uh, podcast uh, in uniform and resigned after that. So I don't know. I mean, good pick for number two uh, for that and maybe Topher Field, if he was keen to get into politics, is number three. Um, I. It'll be interesting to see whether he stays in Tasmania. 
because uh, he was the lead candidate for Tasmania after spending all his time in Victoria. Uh, so if he moves back to Victoria after that, then it just, you know, it, it, it's one of those, um, it's going to stink of uh, celebrityism, celebrityism, celebrityism or whatever it is. So, you know, basically the, the party trying to get him in um, as a, uh, a candidate for Tasmania because of his quote-unquote celebrity status. Uh, so, you know, we, we'll just have to wait and see um, for him to move down to Tasmania um, after, you know, just before the, the role closed and everything like that. I don't know. It, I don't know how that'll be received in Tasmania. I, I don't think it'll be received that well because um, it's essentially an out-of-towner moving down uh, to Tasmania uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. But, um, wait and see whether he stays down there or moves back to Victoria again. Uh, so for that, now going back to that. Now I my thoughts are that with everyone putting Limbrick on a pedestal, I I think it's the wrong thing to do. Um, I yes, he has opposed the Andrews regime's uh, draconian laws in Victoria when it was going on and everything like that. Yes, but that's his job. Uh, I think his personal views um, are potentially contradictory to uh, to to what the, the, the freedom movement stands for. Um, looking at that video that he did um, with all the other candidates, um, you know, Damon Richards, Morgan Jonas, the guys from uh, United Australia um, and One Nation and all that sort of stuff, all, all the Senate candidates were there. Uh, looking, watching that clip there, I, I don't know. There, there was just something about him that didn't sit right. Um, my view was that I think he thought, well, based on body language and positioning and everything like that, that he was a bit above um, and being there, and that maybe he should have been in a um, a debate or a discussion with you know, the, the more higher profile candidates rather than uh, these uh, minor candidates coming in. That's my view, as I said. Uh, it's, it's my thoughts and my interpretation of his body language and everything like that. Um, and, and, yeah, so – and it, it's just things that he said. As I said, I I'm, haven't been able to find it on Hanson, but I'm, I'm 100% positive when the – they were talking about detention under the pan- pandemic bill. So there was a detention for those who tested positive and, and all that, or, or to whatever the pandemic uh, declaration was for. His comment was that he agreed with some detention. Now, remember, this guy's supposed to be a libertarian and he promotes it everywhere. I've seen billboards uh, all around the place with, you know, the libertarians are coming and a clip that I'll play later on says that he's a libertarian, whereas if that's the case... Why wouldn't a libertarian acknowledge that some detention is required? Because that goes against every um, idea of liberty. Now, remember, this is detention. So this is detention for no other reason other than having a particular bug in your system, whether it's, you know, whatever's going on. It's not that you're being um, arrested and incarcerated due to committing a crime or anything like that. So that was something that was interesting for me. Now... Uh, I just want to play this clip. How long does this one go for? It's only a 45-second clip that I think is really interesting and I'm going to play another one afterwards because I, I think 
that they're two contradictory positions. Now, this is from that um, said recording that was done with uh, all, all the Senate candidates for Victoria. Mr Limbrick. Mm. So you've been in Parliament in Victoria throughout the height of the pandemic You've uh, and you've been in office and despite all everything you put to fight what happened here, you were unsuccessful really here. So what's going to change if you get into federal parliament? I don't think we were unsuccessful at all. In fact, I think that part of what we were doing is building a movement and that's exactly what we've done. We've, we've built a party now which is bigger than we've ever been before. We've got a huge following now um, and we've woken up a lot of people to the idea of how important it is to defend liberty. And I think that this is a very, very positive direction. And this this is, you know, this was our intention from the start. So now listening to that, okay. So two things. He talks about defending liberty and building a movement. Um, my thoughts are that that's what this whole thing was about. This whole thing was about building a movement, whether, pardon me, uh, whether he had aspirations of uh, stepping up for the Senate uh, earlier on last year or the year before, whether he, that was his plan to use uh, the state as a as a um, springboard into the Senate, so he could be uh, known down here due to you know question time, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was to use that as a launching pad into his Senate career. I don't know. Now, the cynical side of me potentially says maybe it could have been because, remember, he's moved from New South Wales to come back down here or to come down here uh, for that. So this was all about building a movement uh, from that. And the other thing that he says, he talks about defending liberty. Now, based on with the, the comment that I made before about him saying, well, hey, he's uh, for some detention. Well, no, he's not defending liberty. And, and this is the thing. If you're defending liberty... You don't concede any ground because as soon as you start conceding ground, the ones who want to take liberty away from us will use that to slowly creep, to slowly creep and in increase that uh, removal of liberty. Now, the other point that I uh, other clip that I want to show is this one. Now, um, views aside and everything like that, this was something that I, I thought was interesting because we um, a comment. One of the, I think it was Morgan Jonas raised uh, the. Uh, topic of a Second Amendment style thing out here in Australia and went through everyone's uh, uh, views on that. Now, the party politicians, as I may have said before uh, in previous episode, took the safe route and said, oh, we'll take it to a referendum. Uh, we can do citizen-initiated referenda uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, it, it's that. And I just want you to listen to, uh, to Limbrick's comments uh, for that one. So here we go. Um, uh, right to bear arms, yes or no? Oh, in principle, but I don't think it's something that the Australian... Um, it, it, but I think it's only fair now that it's come up that right to bear arms... Look, there's lots of things that you could, you know, that you could put together in a policy set. Don't answer like a politician. No, no, Tell no. us <laughs> yes or no. I don't think Australia's ready for the right to bear arms, no. Would you support it or not? You wouldn't. If if the, if if there was a popular movement to um, you know support it, I, I would you know so I would definitely consider it. Similar to the UAP policy of putting it to the people, and if the people well, I don't, I don't see anyone pushing for it right now. But Morgan, so now this is the thing. Now looking at that, okay, so he's here for liberty, okay, and yet he's denied. You, you can gather that from the pause 
from the question being asked till his response. So he's thinking of a response that will be a wishy-washy one where he's not saying no straight out and he's not saying yes because he he doesn't want to hurt his political career. He doesn't want the quote-unquote freedom people to cast a vote against him by him saying no, but then also he doesn't want to um, disenfranchise or, or potentially uh, be portrayed as um, a quote-unquote crazy by the corrupt corporate press if he turns around and says yes straight away. So he's come, he's paused, come out with his wishy-washy answer. Now he's turned around and said, hey, it needs to be popular. Well, but there's the thing, he, if he's defending liberty, it doesn't have to be a popular thing. It, it's up to the individual. If the individual wants to use firearms or have access to firearms to defend their liberty or, or whatever it is, whether it's self-protection at home to protect the family at home, castle doctrine, etc., etc., it's not up to him to decide. It's up to the individual person. So as a self-proclaimed libertarian, um, that actually I've never heard him say he's a libertarian. Um, so, But he anyway, let's pretend that he is for a moment. That is the wrong answer. He should not be saying that because it's up to the individual person to decide, not uh, some career politician. Now, he does go on uh, a bit later on uh, talking about uh, other, uh, let's say, less than lethal, uh, you know, requirements or, or things there. That I, I, he did talk about um, pepper spray. I'm not sure whether he's pushed for tasers uh, to be available or anything like that. So... Uh, this is the thing. So one thing, as, as an awkward comment and question to ask people, how can you defend liberty if you're using less than, less than lethal technology? Uh, I don't think that you can. And because when it comes down to it, so we've seen, okay, so he's there defending liberty. Um, what's going to happen when someone that is using lethal technology or lethal uh, whatever it is, let's say firearms illegally obtained firearms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What do you? What? How can you oppose that uh, with a, a taser or pepper spray or you know? Let's say okay. Let's say not even a firearm. Let's say they've come in with a knife, um, which you know is still a lethal weapon. Um, hey, what you defended against the taser? Um, a taser is maybe one or two shots. You've got to get close enough to fire the taser. Um, and not everyone, if you've got enough, thick enough clothing on, the taser won't go through. Um, pepper spray, um, you know, that's depending on how you use it, where you use it and everything like that, it's not there. Um, you know, it, it's not that good. You can't use it outside uh, for, for uh, due to the breezes and things like that. If you're upwind, downwind, downwind. Uh, so and spraying it, then it's going to come back and get you. Uh, so you know, pepper spray is a, is a thing as well. Same as the type of pepper spray that you use. If you use the foam, it, it's got to be a direct application. By which time it's too late. If you've got, you know, if, if someone has to be close enough for you to spray them, then it's that. Um, it's you know, whole lot of problems with that. Now, uh, this is a thing. Now, my thoughts are I. Having a look at comments that he's made and everything like that, I have a feeling that Mr. Limbrick is, um, I think he's got his foot hovering over the socialist camp um, with a majority of his views. Uh, I don't think that he's got his both feet firmly planted in the uh, libertarian 
side of things. Uh, I, I, I think it is hovering over there a little bit, uh, whether he wants to stand on the line or stand on the fence with a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that we're putting our faith in the wrong person. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be any big saviour um, of ours in the Senate uh, for that. And, like, honestly, um, with the way things are, you know, if he was genuinely liberty uh, focused, he would have been able to, he would, should have, could have been more successful, successful at the state level. Uh, so, and, and the other thing with that is that if he's, if he's unsuccessful at the federal level, then he's just going to come back to the state. So, and that's why they've held off the vote uh, for his replacement uh, and everything like that. So, it's it is interesting. I'm I'm not sure whether he's the right one. Uh, to be putting our faith in as as our saviour. Now, something I did want to talk about. Now, it has been raised, um, a common point of all these things is um, citizen-initiated referenda. Now, I completely disagree with that. I think any referendum is going to be challenged, especially a citizen-initiated one. Uh, we shouldn't have uh, anything like that because it's just going to be a, a popularity contest and referenda that oppose what the government of the day's position is normally aren't that successful. Uh, so it's just going to be a waste of money, um, things that, that that isn't going to be successful and I, it, it's going to disenfranchise a lot more people because if you get the numbers to do a CIR uh, campaign and everything, but then that's the other thing too is how much money have you got to run a positive or negative campaign depending on what your desired outcome of the referendum is. I I, yeah, I don't think that it's going to be good enough. Um, yeah, I I don't believe that it is something that we should be looking at as uh, something to get our <laughs> quite quite our democracy back on track. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll just yeah, it's no, it's, it's not good. Um, I don't think we should be uh, focusing or, or hook, hooking our wagon up to any wider. Uh, thing that the, the population are going to do. I mean, okay, you know, um, citizen refer- initiated referenda. Uh, let's say we wanted to do something. What can we oppose at the federal level? Okay, let's say nuclear. Okay, um, the you know we've, we've got the federal prohibition against uh, nuclear technology. Uh, without federal approval, such as, you know, we've got the Lucas Heights reactor and I think there's one other one somewhere else that I can't quite remember. Okay, let's say we want to have a campaign. Yes, we should repeal that legislation uh, and open it up to, you know, the authority of the states to decide whether they want it or not. Now, how do you run a campaign? Because we know that the the federal government is going to say no because... If they did want it changed, then they would have changed it themselves. So they're going to run a no campaign. So are the states are going to run a no campaign. You're going to get all these people that are on board with the quote-unquote renewable energy uh, and quote-unquote clean energy uh, bandwagons because that's what's popular at the time. So how do you get something like that across when it's going to be a resounding defeat uh, for that? Because in all honesty, if that issue was something that would be um, would get up at a um, CIR 
um, election or ballot, then there would be a bigger groundswell at the moment. Um, what, can, what else can we talk about? National firearms agreement. Well, it's not a national firearms agreement. It's just something like the whole bullshit with national cabinet. It's just a whole lot of people have gone, you know, the state uh, police ministers have got down and said, yep, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to agree with. So the Commonwealth has no authority to pass legislation relating to firearms. So you, you can't uh, oppose that at the federal level. It's up to the states because that's the power that the states have got as per the Constitution. Uh, what else is there? Freedom of speech. Well, there's the implied political communication in the Constitution. Let's, you know, let's ratify that and make it more. Well, how do you define it? If you do a CIR for freedom of speech and make it blanket, well, then that's contrary to the, um, what is it, 18C or whatever it is of um, uh, some discrimination act. or I can't remember what it was. It's one that they're always jumping up and down about uh, for that one. So what happens there? Um, what's going to happen? Because you're going to get the, the power, the power, the government of the day uh, that turns around and says no, that they don't want it to get up. So how are you going to get up? Because the government of day of the run the scare campaign is that if this um, thing gets up and says, hey, you know, there is um, a constitutional recognition of free speech, oh, you're going to have people calling this and that and everything else. So it's going to be a massive scare campaign. So people are going to say no. Uh, let's say, okay, a CIR with regards to legislation, what? legislation let's say the federal biosecurity act while the question needs to be asked does the commonwealth have the authority to create a biosecurity act because nothing nothing about biosecurity is mentioned in the constitution yes it has um things for quarantine uh tariffs and imports etc etc now quarantine is not the same as biosecurity though it's likely that the Commonwealth will turn around and use the external external affairs provision of the Constitution. So that's fine. So they're entitled to make those laws. So would the um, CIR oppose that? No, it wouldn't because the Commonwealth will turn around and say, hey, we agree with this. The states will turn around and say, no, we need this to protect our farming. We need this to protect whatever. We need this to protect agriculture. We need this to protect people. And it'll be a similar situation like what happened in Queensland at their election uh, where she, um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, kept the state locked down by scaring everyone into believing that she was doing this to keep them safe. So there's that. Um, it, yeah, it's just... Um, it, it's one of those things that we shouldn't be looking at doing. Uh, we should be minimising government, getting rid of as many government departments as we can to that will still allow government to run efficiently. Get rid of the um, state federal Department of Education for a start. We don't need it because education is not a federal issue or Commonwealth issue, it's a state issue. Uh, get rid of the Commonwealth Depart Federal Department of Health because, once again, that's a state issue, that's not a federal issue. Get rid of that down at the state level. Get rid of that department. Just have it as one minister that oversees what the, the various school districts do. Um, every school uh, in Victoria has a school council. Um, I think oh, it's public schools that do. They have a school council. Give the school council more authority to do it. Uh, make it, you know, have a, a regional body that looks after particular districts or something like that. Um, from that one, move everything back down to the local level. Decentralisation of power. 
that's the stuff that we should be aiming for rather than this citizen-initiated referenda, referenda for this and referendum for that. Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that, you know, is beneficial to the people and, you know, if we – and same as the, the, the recall elections, like really, you know, it, it's three years. Um, you know, if what – and plus recall elections really only work due to um, – it's an it's American thing because the, the governor and um, uh, the governors have authority – uh, to do things uh, through executive orders and all that sort of stuff. We don't have that situation in Australia due to our uh, adoption of a, I think it's a bit of a hybrid of the Westminster system, uh, whereas, you know, the, the the Premier of the state and the Prime Minister of the country are effectively ministers of state because they're not individually mentioned. Um, actually, I think the Premier might be, but there's not a position that is, is voted for by the popular population well, by the electorate. It's voted there by the party. So that's why prime ministers can come and go uh, outside of the election cycle, as we've seen for um, prior to this term, I think, what was it, last 10 or 12 years uh, in Australia. Uh, so that, so we, you know, recall elections are pointless. I mean, because what are you going to do? By the time you get enough um, people to together to recall a politician, well, what's the point of it? Because they're just agreeing to something. If they're not doing what they're doing, they're supposed to be doing and they're, you know, like Andrew Giles, he spends more time out of the electorate than he does, well, campaign against him the next time the election comes up. Um, so I think those pushing the uh, recall elections and all that sort of stuff, once again, aren't um, as politically knowledgeable as they are. They don't have that much of an understanding of our Westminster system. They don't have an understanding of... Uh, the way our parliaments are set up and the way our governments are set up. So, I, yeah, I, it, it's not, yes, it's a good talking point and it's good catch for, you know, something slogan, hey, this is what we want. So, you know, you may be able to uh, get the other uninitiated or um, uneducated uh, to jump on your bandwagon and, and for things like that. But so, yeah, it's not, um, it, it's not something that we should be doing out here uh, for that. So, um, yeah, but anyway, um, uh, I think probably uh, might do a bit of a uh, election debrief on Sunday. Um, see how it goes uh, if we've got a result Sunday night. Uh, I might. Th- I think it's going to come down to a lot of postal votes uh, for that and absentee votes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we may not know an answer um, potentially till probably Monday or Tuesday. I think Senate's going to take at least. Till the end of the week uh, to come through, so that's um, that's something there. Uh, what else? So, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a long drawn out battle, um, oh, battle um, uh, process uh, for that. So yeah, you know, it, it's a thing. You know, that being said, uh, do wish all the candidates the best of luck. Um, I hope that they they all get together after this and work out where their vote has been diluted uh, for that. So I, I think running uh, every party, running candidates in every seat uh, has diluted the message a bit. Um, they should have got together as, as a, you know, as a, you know, a freedom caucus uh, and said, yep, okay, we'll run this strong candidate in this seat. Um, we'll, you know, get 
Uh, so, for example, um, you know, One Nation Liberal Democrats and UAP for Scullin. You know, this is a very, very safe Labor seat. Uh, so the chances of any of them unseating Andrew, unseating Andrew Giles is very, very slim. Uh, so they should have put one candidate in, said, yep, you know, we want you to sign up for this, to run as a candidate for this election. Now, they, they should have started this 12 months ago. So then this is you're going to be the candidate for this election, but we also want you to have a presence in this uh, electorate for the next three years <coughs> and just do that. We will all get together, commit resources, volunteers, etc., etc., to do that. We will get you in that. We will get your profile lifted. So instead of having, I think there's nine, seven or nine on our ballot, uh, we could have taken it, we could have got rid of... Um, one Nation, UAP and Liberal Democrats, so there's three. So it would have gone down to four. So it would have been um, the Watermelons, the Victorian Socialists, the Liberal, uh, Liberal Party, um, Labor Party and that and whoever the, the um, Freedom Caucus person was. So that would have taken it down to five, which means that there would have been a better chance if that person had a, you know, they have combined resources. Now, we know this isn't going to happen because then, hey, what happens with distribution of funds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they should all get together and decide, okay, this is a seat that will do that. This is the region that we want. This is what we want to do here. Our polling says that, hey, this person stands a better chance. And do what you can to get them into that area for the, for the next three years. Just understand that a non-sitting um, politician does have other jobs and, uh, you know, does have a life and, and everything like that. So there may not be the funds for them to have a full-time office, uh, you know, to be there full-time. They could have an office. I'm sure the parties could combine funds or just say, hey, yep, we'll have a One Nation office here for the next three years uh, and all that sort of stuff. There, there would be a way to do it and, and this is what should be done. So let's say the One Nation person didn't get up this time but that would be because the collective primary vote wasn't enough. So they get rid of the other two uh, parties so that One Nation Canada has a permanent office in here for the next four, three years. So they're seen in the neighbourhood, their office is there that they can come and, hey, let's come to my office, let's have a chat, you know, what do you want? And then they put pressure on Giles to do to lift his game and to do more shit for the community and everything like that and to spend more time in the community. And do it that way, and then you know what? Who knows what's going, what the um, the their primary vote is going to be at the next election because you've got rid of the other two parties, so it's not going to be a toss up. Hey, let's vote One Nation One, um, UAP Two, and Liberal Democrats Three. There's not going to be that watering down of the primary vote. The primary vote is going to be do that and just make it as some agreement uh, between all three parties or is it three. Yeah, there'd be three parties and then there's a federation party, which is another one. They didn't run in this area. So, uh, you know, do it do it that way and have that sort of understanding is that we're going to share resources for the sole purpose of voting the majors out of office. And if they had have done it that way, then I think it would have been a, a better campaign and you'd, you'd run a very, very good chance of unseating uh, these entitled politicians that are in, in safe seats. And the same thing goes for the ones, in, the Liberal politicians who are in safe seats as well. Um, I think um, Frydenberg's going to be having a bit of a challenge in Kuyong, um, more because um, Holmes Court has put a lot of money into his Teal Independent. 
for that. Uh, so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I'm not going to make any predictions for any other seats because I'm, I'm honestly haven't been paying that much attention to it. Um, Scullin's my seat uh, and, and everything like that. So, but anyway, uh, we'll see how we go with that. Um, what else is there? Um, I think I might just leave it at that one. Uh, as I said, this is a pre-election um, podcast. I'm happy to hear your thoughts on whether you think I'm wrong about my views on the LDP and all that sort of stuff. So uh, feel free to leave a comment on this podcast. I would appreciate uh, the customary five-star review um, because it does help other people find it. it, does let potential guests know that, hey, there are six people listening to it instead of my um, five listeners. Uh, so I am appreciative of the extra person listening to this podcast. Um, your your ears are, are greatly appreciated uh, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, please feel free to leave a comment, guys, girls, people, um, onto the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, so I'll wrap it up here. And um, so anyway, yep, thanks for listening and I look forward to having you join me on the next one. Bye for now.